In a secluded corner of the Arctic, a stretch of frigid wasteland seemingly devoid of life, an isolated research station stood. This outpost was a confluence of cutting-edge technology and human resilience, where metal and glass structures punctured the white expanse like frozen sentinels against a backdrop of unyielding ice and snow. Satellite dishes reached skyward, as if in supplication to the gods of data and discovery. Submersibles and drones, designed for Arctic conditions, rested in their bays, ready for exploration and sampling. Snowmobiles lay parked, their tracks frozen to the ground but always poised for action. This compound was home to a team of scientists, biologists, geologists, and engineers, professionals dedicated to extracting knowledge from this most inhospitable environment. Their research goals were broad, ranging from climate change studies and marine biology to the discovery of new microbial life forms. The team was armed with technology that could bore deep into the ice, revealing secrets preserved for thousands of years, and analytical equipment sensitive enough to decode even the most enigmatic puzzles of cellular life. The station itself was a marvel, heated by a state-of-the-art, eco-friendly system and fortified against the severe Arctic conditions, it provided a sanctuary of warmth and light in the midst of eternal cold and periods of endless darkness. It was equipped with laboratories that would be the envy of any institution, stocked with specialized instruments to study everything from air and water quality to the DNA of ancient microorganisms. There was also a sophisticated communication setup to keep in touch with the outside world, although storms frequently rendered it inoperative, leaving the station an island unto itself. But it was in one of those high-tech laboratories, among petri dishes and electron microscopes, that something extraordinary was found. It wasn't a cure for a disease or a new element, nor was it evidence to support or debunk theories about climate change. What the scientists stumbled upon was far more mysterious, microscopic organisms that were unlike anything in the known biological taxonomy. They seemed almost pedestrian at first glance, yet they exhibited an inexplicable and unsettling capability, they fed on human memories. The scientists christened them, the memory eaters, unwittingly naming their own doom. They had no way of knowing that this microscopic army, silent and invisible, would consume not just individual memories but also the very essence of their human experience, reducing each person to a hollow vessel, adrift in a sea of oblivion. As they continued their research, the first wisps of lost memories were subtle, almost a whisper against the mind. But what began as an intriguing biological discovery soon unfolded into a devastating saga of loss, despair, and entrapment, a labyrinth from which there would be no escape. And so, the scene was set, the protagonists unaware that they had already stepped onto a stage where they would play out one of the most terrifying dramas ever to unfold in the isolation of the Arctic's white expanse. Within the sterile atmosphere of the laboratory, a researcher sat before an array of equipment, microscopes, incubators, centrifuges, all fine-tuned for the most delicate manipulations of matter. The petri dishes lay in a neat line, each one containing a soil sample carefully extracted from a different layer of Arctic permafrost. The scientist focused on one dish in particular, placed under the lens of an electron microscope. Something was off. The microbes in this dish behaved differently, disintegrating at an accelerated pace compared to the others. 
Intrigued, the researcher isolated the specimen and initiated a series of tests to identify these peculiar microorganisms. Days and nights blurred into one long stretch of labor, as the scientist meticulously analyzed the organism's genetic makeup, metabolism, and behavior. These new microbes seemed to metabolize a unique set of proteins, proteins that, according to the literature, were strikingly similar to those found in the human brain, specifically in the regions associated with memory storage. The hypothesis was mind-boggling. Were these microbes actually consuming proteins related to memory? Computational models and simulations were run, cross-referencing the microbes' properties with known neurobiology databases. The results were consistent and disquieting. These organisms had an affinity for human memory proteins. To validate this, a carefully controlled experiment was set up using lab mice. The researchers introduced a minuscule number of these organisms into the mice's living environment. Subsequent behavioral tests on the mice displayed a clear and unsettling pattern. The mice began to forget previously learned tasks. The discovery was astonishing but simultaneously filled with foreboding implications. Notes were compiled, datasets arranged, and the initial findings prepared for peer review. Yet, no one considered the existential ramifications, captivated as they were by the groundbreaking scientific discovery. The microbes were stored in a high-security biocontainment unit within the laboratory, a unit designed to prevent any microscopic entities from escaping. It was a fortress of isolation, both physically and metaphorically. However, in their zeal for knowledge, the team failed to consider one crucial element. They were not dealing with an ordinary biological entity. No one noticed when the biocontainment alarms flickered briefly before resuming their silent vigil. Nor did they realize that a microscopic army was already on the march, breaching barriers designed to contain far less adaptive organisms. The memory eaters had found their new feeding ground, a bountiful landscape of memories, skills, and identities. Unbeknownst to the team, their remarkable discovery had already begun its insidious work, nibbling away at the edges of their minds. The stage was set for an unfolding horror, the ramifications of which would stretch the boundaries of human understanding, even as it consumed them. The initial experience was euphoric. The subtle weight of unpleasant memories started lifting off the minds of the research team like a morning fog yielding to the sun. Burdens they had carried unknowingly for years, awkward exchanges, regrets, embarrassments, these ghosts of the past started to blur and fade. The members felt emotionally light, as if years of latent stress had been drawn out of them, akin to the sensation of stepping into a hot shower after a long, grueling day. Around the station, there was a perceptible lightness, an ineffable buoyancy that defied the harsh conditions of their surroundings. Members felt increasingly at ease with one another, sharing jokes and laughter during mealtimes in the mess hall. The communal recreation room saw more activity, with scientists gathering for impromptu card games or to watch films, sharing a sense of camaraderie that felt organic, unrestrained by past awkwardness or misunderstandings. Performance in the labs also seemed to benefit. Freed from nagging doubts and gnawing regrets, the researchers attacked their projects with renewed focus and zest. Data analysis that would typically take a week was being completed in days. 
the station hummed with a vigor that belied its isolated, frigid setting. Equipment that was usually daunting and often cumbersome felt almost intuitive to operate. Simultaneously, the medical monitoring systems embedded within each scientist's biosuit reported optimal physiological conditions, lowered blood pressure, a balanced neural chemical state, improved sleep cycles. It was as if they were in the best health of their lives, physically and emotionally. Amid this sense of general well-being, the unsettling phenomena of disappearing memories were written off as anomalies, quirks in their minds accentuated by the isolation and extreme conditions. Any minor lapses in remembering protocols or procedures were attributed to exhaustion or stress. In the end, they were only human, and forgetting is a human trait. They embraced this newfound emotional freedom, completely unaware that the cost of such freedom was escalating with every passing moment. This sense of well-being, however, was the memory eater's most insidious deception. While the researchers celebrated their fleeting emotional highs, the microscopic entities were delving deeper, probing the neural pathways and synaptic connections that housed more essential memories and skills. What started as a gentle cleansing was about to transform into a relentless erasure, leaving the team adrift in a terrifying mental void. Thus, even as they reveled in their newfound emotional clarity, the foundation was being laid for a nightmarish reality. It was a reality where the walls of the research station would close in on them, not due to the limits of physical space, but because of the rapidly shrinking boundaries of their own minds. The first alarm bells rang quietly, masked by the ongoing sense of euphoria. One of the scientists, a veteran in operating the complex mass spectrometer, found himself puzzling over the buttons and dials one afternoon. His fingers hesitated, unsure, as if the interface was a cryptic language he could no longer comprehend. Shaking it off as fatigue, he left the lab, attributing the lapse to exhaustion or maybe a momentary mental fog. Simultaneously, another team member stood bewildered in the supply room, staring at shelves of meticulously labeled chemical reagents. The labels seemed unfamiliar, almost foreign, evoking no sense of recognition or purpose. The scientist left the room empty-handed, a sense of unease settling over him. Little episodes like these began to manifest more frequently around the station. A researcher struggled to remember the sequence for emergency shutdown of the station's primary generator, a sequence he had committed to muscle memory. Another forgot the precise ratio of substances for a time-sensitive experiment, resulting in a ruined batch of samples. Yet another found herself wandering the corridors, having forgotten the way to her own quarters. Troubling as these incidents were, what intensified the sense of dread was that they began to cluster. The researchers would find themselves standing together, stumped over tasks that were previously routine, staring at monitors, instructions, or equipment like early explorers staring at an indecipherable map. It was as though the very air had thickened, muddling their thoughts, making every action laborious. Their concerns escalated when one scientist failed to return from a snowmobile expedition to a nearby ice core drilling site. A search party was formed, and they found the missing team member within a few hours, standing next to the snowmobile, just a couple of miles from the station. The vehicle was in perfect working condition, and so was the GPS device. But the researcher seemed disoriented, 
unable to articulate where he was going or why he hadn't returned. It was a sobering moment for the team. The isolated Arctic was an unforgiving place, and such lapses could easily be fatal. A meeting was convened in the main conference room, where data and observations were shared, but no one could pinpoint the cause. Malnutrition, sleep deprivation, and even carbon dioxide toxicity were considered, but the station's advanced monitoring systems showed no abnormalities. The team initiated a series of medical examinations and mental acuity tests. Physiological measures came back normal, but cognitive tests displayed alarming results. There were gaps, holes in their skills and knowledge, random but expanding. Despite the absence of dialogue, each felt the rising crescendo of tension and dread, like a thickening fog, filling the room. The researchers were no longer the masters of their environment, buttressed by technology and intellect. They had become wanderers in their own minds, each step forward shrouded in uncertainty. They were beginning to forget not just what they knew, but also what they needed to know, and the ominous implications of that realization settled upon them like the weight of the looming Arctic night. With a sense of urgency that teetered on the edge of panic, the team threw themselves into troubleshooting. All non-essential research was suspended, and the focus shifted to identifying the mysterious malaise eroding their cognitive abilities. Yet, as they sifted through data and ran diagnostics, the answers remained elusive. Even more disconcerting was the realization that their analytical skills were degrading, rendering them increasingly incapable of interpreting the very data they were so desperately scrutinizing. The station that once stood as a beacon of human ingenuity began to morph into a labyrinthine prison. Hallways and rooms, once familiar, now seemed convoluted and disorienting. Advanced equipment lay dormant, transforming into enigmatic artifacts rather than tools of discovery. Checklists for even simple tasks were now indecipherable hieroglyphics. The sensation was akin to drowning, a desperate floundering in the depths of their own minds. In the mess hall, the convivial atmosphere had evaporated. Scientists sat staring at their food, struggling to remember the mechanics of simple activities like using utensils. Some reverted to using their hands, a primitive workaround in a high-tech environment. In extreme cases, individuals were found wandering aimlessly, unable to remember the purpose of rooms they entered or even why they had left their quarters. The biosuits, once a seamless fusion of fabric and technology that monitored their health and well-being, became inexplicable burdens. Scientists struggled with zippers and fasteners, often needing help to put the suits on or take them off. When alarms on the biosuits sounded, indicating deviations in physiological markers, no one understood what the alerts meant or how to address them. As their memories continued to erode, so did their identities. Scientists forgot their areas of expertise, their past achievements, and even the names of their colleagues. They faced the existential horror of losing the very traits that defined them as individuals. The sense of self was disintegrating, leaving behind human husks, bodies that moved and breathed but were devoid of personal history or ambition. Nowhere was safe, nowhere was familiar. The sanctuary they had built was betraying them, not through mechanical failure or environmental hostility, but through a devastating internal collapse. 
the compound had become an icy mausoleum preserving their physical forms, even as their mental landscapes were raised to barren fields. It was a realm where reality was fading, eclipsed by the encroaching shadow of oblivion. The unraveling quickened its pace, a psychological wildfire consuming the minds of the researchers. Their faces, once brimming with curiosity and determination, now wore blank expressions, their eyes void of recognition or understanding. Without memories to anchor them, the researchers became strangers to themselves and each other. Personal bonds, professional respect, and shared goals all vanished into the void, leaving behind an eerie detachment. Mirrors became objects of existential horror. Researchers would pause before them, staring into their own reflections as if hoping to find some sliver of familiarity, some trace of the person they used to be. But the faces that stared back were those of strangers, empty vessels devoid of history or meaning. In a surreal twist, individuals began to react to their own reflections as they would to unknown entities, with caution, confusion, and sometimes fear. Basic survival instincts began to take precedence over everything else. Tasks that required even a modicum of cognitive function, like operating machinery to regulate indoor temperatures or preparing meals, were abandoned. Instead, individuals roamed the complex in a state of primal alertness, drawn to immediate stimuli like the heat emanating from ventilation ducts or the sight of pre-packaged food. At the same time, the physical environment began to deteriorate. Machinery that required regular maintenance started to malfunction. Alarms intended to signal air filtration issues, water contamination, and other critical factors sounded off across the station, their urgent beeps falling on deaf ears. Each unanswered alarm nudged the facility closer to becoming an uninhabitable shell, yet no one understood the urgency or even the concept of mechanical failure. Some form of self-preservation kicked in, and the researchers found themselves huddling together for warmth in common areas. Yet these gatherings were not driven by a sense of community or mutual aid, they were the acts of sentient beings reduced to their most basic survival programming. Clustered together, they resembled a colony of animals more than a team of elite scientists. The advanced biosuits that should have been their lifeline were half removed, their complex fastenings too difficult to manipulate. Layers of high-tech fabric lay strewn about, a jarring contrast to the vulnerability of the humans it was designed to protect. The memory eaters had exacted a heavy toll. They had stripped the researchers of the very essence that made them human, their memories, skills, and identities. What remained were beings who existed in a perpetual present, devoid of past or future, trapped in a disintegrating citadel of forgotten knowledge. With each passing moment, the vestiges of their humanity were being erased, leaving only the shell of instinct and biological function. And still, the memory eaters continued their feast, undeterred and insatiable, seeking the final remnants of cognitive sustenance. A critical point was reached when the basic instincts for self-preservation began to clash. In a setting where scientific collaboration had once thrived, competitiveness over dwindling resources emerged. Food supplies became sites of tension, with researchers reaching for the same packages, each unwilling to yield. Any notion of sharing or communal responsibility had been erased, leaving only the drive to claim what could be grasped. 
the lack of technical know-how led to a series of calamities that made the situation even graver. An attempt to hoard food near a heating vent led to the ignition of packaging material, resulting in a fire that ravaged one section of the station. No one understood the concept of fire extinguishers, much less the sophisticated fire suppression systems installed throughout the facility. The blaze consumed vital equipment and supplies before it eventually smothered itself due to the lack of oxygen, a disaster narrowly averted, but at great cost. With key sections of the facility damaged and their automated systems compromised, the internal atmosphere began to change. Oxygen levels decreased, while carbon dioxide and other contaminants increased. The stress it imposed on the researchers' already frail physiology manifested in palpable ways, labored breathing, reduced motor skills, and an increased sense of confusion. Yet, even in their reduced state, the primal parts of their brains understood that the environment was becoming increasingly inhospitable. This led to a fractured migration within the facility, as researchers moved aimlessly trying to find areas that felt safer or more comfortable. However, their random movements only exacerbated the decline of the station, as they inadvertently damaged or shut down more systems in their desperate wanderings. The final blow to their cohesion as a group came when the water purification system failed. Deprived of fresh water, dehydration set in, making the researchers even more lethargic and disoriented. Group clusters began to break down entirely at this point. The social fabric that might have held them together in a crisis had long been consumed by the memory eaters, leaving each individual isolated even while in the presence of others. In this advanced state of decay, the station resembled a post-apocalyptic setting. The researchers were like ghosts haunting their own lives, disconnected from each other and from the essential reality that had once framed their existence. Each was locked in a solipsistic nightmare, a universe contracting around a fading sense of self. Even the memory eaters seemed to withdraw, as if sensing that their hosts had been depleted to the point of offering little sustenance. The once harmonious society of brilliant minds had been shattered into fragments, each piece a hollow echo of human potential and aspiration. And as the individuals drifted further apart, the station itself moved closer to a systemic failure that would extinguish all life within its walls. The station, once a marvel of engineering and a testament to human endeavor, had become a prison of incomprehensible design. Locked doors and deactivated passcodes trapped the researchers in compartments or corridors, their failing minds incapable of solving the puzzles that would grant them freedom. In a cruel irony, the very security measures intended to protect them now served as their jailers. Wandering aimlessly, some researchers encountered the reinforced windows that framed the external world, a world of endless white and cold, of relentless wind and snow. Yet, even this vista was alien to them. The concept of outside, of an environment beyond the confines of the station, eluded their understanding. It was as if the walls had closed in not just physically but also mentally, leaving no room for the idea that something different could exist. The vast arctic landscape appeared as a surreal painting or an abstract pattern, devoid of context or meaning. The laboratory that once held the petri dishes containing the memory eaters lay in chaos. Broken glass, toppled equipment, and scattered papers bore mute testimony to the catastrophe that had originated here. 
Yet, none who entered this room felt any particular attachment or recognition. The samples of the microscopic organisms had long since been depleted, their tiny ecosystems gone dormant as their food source, human memory, had dried up. The predators had run out of prey but had already inflicted irreparable damage. Amidst this devastation, individual researchers showed signs of physical decline that paralleled their cognitive losses. Dehydration and malnourishment took their toll, manifesting in frail bodies and weakened immune systems. The advanced medical bay, with its promise of robotic surgery and nanomedicine, stood useless, its treasures locked behind interfaces that no one could operate. What remained of the team was a group of beings living minute to minute, disconnected from each other and from themselves, confined in a high-tech cage that they could neither understand nor escape. And still, their minds continued to degrade, each forgetting how to perform even the most basic tasks required for survival, how to eat, how to drink, and eventually, how to breathe. As the station's life support systems gave their final, unheeded warnings and the air grew thin, the researchers congregated one last time in the central atrium. Not out of choice or strategy, but like particles driven together by unseen forces, each one barely conscious of the other's presence. It was a tragic tableau of lost purpose and squandered potential. As the final systems failed and the lights flickered out, plunging the atrium into darkness, the last vestiges of consciousness ebbed away from the researchers. They were imprisoned not just by walls and by failing technology, but by the irreversible annihilation of their own minds. Even the memory eaters could claim no victory here. They had consumed themselves into extinction. In the all-encompassing darkness, the researchers took their final, shallow breaths, never understanding what they were losing, because they had already lost it long ago. Unbeknownst to the beleaguered inhabitants of the station, one researcher had been conducting a series of clandestine experiments on himself in a last-ditch effort to combat the memory eaters. In a hidden corner of an unused lab, he had cobbled together a makeshift setup, syringes, vials of experimental compounds, and a collection of personal mementos to serve as anchors for his rapidly fading memory. His reasoning, guided by increasingly fragmented scientific expertise, was grounded in desperation. He hypothesized that a cocktail of neuroprotective drugs might slow the degradation enough for him to take decisive action. The personal mementos, a picture of a loved one, a cherished book, a meaningful trinket, were there to stimulate emotional memories, hoping they'd be more resistant to the memory eaters. In the first few attempts, the researcher suffered severe side effects, tremors, disorientation, bouts of extreme nausea. Yet each iteration of the cocktail seemed to slow the erosion of his cognitive abilities, if only marginally. By the final iteration, he managed to attain a state that approximated lucidity. For the first time in what felt like an eternity, he remembered who he was and grasped the direness of the situation. Emboldened yet running out of time, he made his way to the central control room. Though the intricate knowledge of how to operate the station's systems had faded, basic muscle memory guided his hands as he navigated the interfaces. He initiated a sequence of commands designed to trigger a distress signal, broadcast to any receiving station within a hundred light years. Simultaneously, 
he deactivated most of the remaining internal security protocols that had turned the facility into an unintentional prison. Just as he was about to take the final, irrevocable step, a complete system reboot that would either reset the life support systems or doom the station to immediate collapse, his vision blurred, and he stumbled backward, clutching his head in agony. The memory eaters, perhaps roused by his momentary increase in cognitive activity, struck back with a vengeance. Layers of his identity peeled away in seconds, his name, his purpose, the faces of loved ones, all vanished in a whirlpool of mental disintegration. His trembling hand hovered over the console, the reboot command now a string of meaningless symbols. As he stared at the screen, his vision darkened at the edges, his last act of defiance consumed in a rising tide of oblivion. He collapsed to the floor, another casualty in a war he could no longer comprehend. The room returned to its state of waiting, its screens filled with unread alerts and unexecuted commands, as the researcher lay motionless, defeated by an enemy he had almost remembered. The echoes of the failed attempt reverberated through the station in a series of subtle, yet devastating, systemic glitches. While the researcher's efforts to reset the life support systems had fallen short, his meddling had inadvertently triggered a cascade of minor malfunctions across the complex. These faults, while individually inconsequential, collectively added another layer of chaos to an already disordered environment. Senses misread ambient conditions, causing temperature regulators to oscillate wildly between extremes. In one wing, heating elements redlined, making the area unbearably hot. In contrast, another section saw a rapid decrease in temperature, the air becoming icy and forming frost on the walls. Doors, released from their security locks, now operated unpredictably, at times refusing to open or, worse, closing abruptly and trapping individuals in confined spaces. In the central atrium, the holographic display system activated spontaneously, its projectors casting intricate illusions that danced across the walls and ceiling. These patterns were complex mathematical models and data visualizations, once familiar to the researchers but now utterly meaningless to their stripped minds. To the remaining inhabitants, the spectral shapes flickering around them were incomprehensible yet mesmerizing phenomena, another strange facet of their narrowing worlds. The laboratory where the memory eaters were first discovered was now a place of utter desolation. The once carefully labeled samples lay mixed and shattered on the floor, the organisms either dormant or dead. In this chaos, however, something unexpected occurred. One sealed petri dish, which had been overlooked during the initial catastrophe, cracked open due to temperature fluctuations. The memory eaters inside found themselves exposed to the air, and though weakened, they were still viable. Carried by the ventilation system, these dormant entities began to disperse throughout the station. The population of researchers was now so depleted, physically and mentally, that their movements were more like the shuffling of zombies than the actions of sentient beings. Many had succumbed to the harsh conditions, their bodies lying where they fell, almost indistinguishable from the general wreckage. Those who remained were isolated instances of life, drifting like lost souls through the facility's labyrinthine corridors. Amidst this backdrop of decay and despair, the newly released memory eaters found a way to fragment themselves, 
each particle seeking a different host. It was as if they had evolved a form of survival instinct, an adaptation to their own destructive success. They couldn't feed on what no longer existed, so in a desperate bid for sustenance, they aimed to partition their hosts' remaining mental scraps among themselves. As these new strains infiltrated the remaining researchers, an unprecedented transformation took place. It was as if each fragment sought to preserve a single aspect of their host's identity, a skill, an emotion, a sliver of personal history. The memory eaters were no longer just erasing, they were isolating, creating pockets of preserved cognition amid the wasteland of each mind. What remained of the researchers became walking enigmas, each a living repository of a single, isolated trait or memory, untethered from any broader identity or understanding. One could do nothing but endlessly write complex equations on any available surface. Another stood in a loop of eternal laughter, a third cradled a beaker as if it were a newborn child. In their reduced states, they were the sum of one part, a grotesque simplification imposed by their microscopic invaders. As the memory eaters adapted and honed their predation, something even more alarming occurred. The fragments of individual personality that they had isolated and preserved began to falter, as if the act of being singled out made them too vulnerable to survive. Like an endangered species with an insufficient gene pool, these fragments couldn't sustain themselves without the broader context of a whole identity to inhabit. The researcher who could only write equations suddenly found that the numbers and symbols that flowed from his fingers became increasingly nonsensical, then finally reduced to random scribbles. The one locked in eternal laughter found that her mirth turned into a silent gaping mouth, the very understanding of what laughter signified slipping away. The one who cradled the beaker dropped it, as the notion of care evaporated from his fragmentary awareness. The memory eaters, too, were reaching a state of existential crisis. The mental scraps left were insufficient to nourish them, and they found themselves starving in a feast-turned-famine. Their own evolutionary tactic of isolation and fragmentation had backfired, leaving them with nowhere else to turn for sustenance. As the last remnants of individuality and cognition faded from the researchers, so did the life signs of their microscopic invaders. It was a mass extinction on multiple scales, both macroscopic and microscopic, the one inexplicably tied to the other. And with that mutual fading away, the station's lights dimmed further, its systems stuttering into a terminal decline. Alarms that once would have summoned immediate action fell on deaf ears. Warning lights that would have triggered rapid troubleshooting blinked in empty rooms. The architecture of the station, designed for constant interaction with its human operators, found itself navigating a course toward obsolescence without them. Soon, the high-tech prison, which had become a tomb, powered down to its lowest operational state. The last of its emergency lights flickered out, leaving the facility in complete darkness. Inside it, the entities that had once been researchers and the organisms that had consumed them drifted into nothingness, their existence reduced to vestigial code in failing machines and dormant cells in perishing bodies. In this quiet darkness, it was as if the station itself let out a final sigh, an unseen, unheard exhalation that marked the end of a tragic and incomprehensible saga. What remained was a void, 
an absence of light, sound, and thought. An erasure so complete it defied understanding, consuming both predator and prey in a final, irreversible silence. An eternity seemed to pass in the dark, silent void of the research station. Unnoticed by anyone, a subtle shift occurred in the station's lower levels. Deep in the bowels of the facility, far from where any of the researchers had roamed, a standalone server blinked back to life. Fueled by a hidden backup power source, it ran a series of diagnostics and began initiating a recovery protocol. The server housed an experimental AI designed for deep-sea exploration, repurposed for the station's scientific endeavors. When the researchers began losing their memories, the AI had been isolated from the main network as a precautionary measure, a forgotten safeguarding forgotten by those who had enacted it. With senses blind and effectors inoperative, the AI had no means to assess the situation or influence its environment. Its singular function now was to maintain the integrity of its data, a massive archive of recorded observations, ongoing experiments, and, most critically, detailed profiles of all the microscopic organisms that the station had been studying, including the memory eaters. It was a library of forgotten horrors, a compendium of knowledge left to languish in electronic obscurity. Among its files was an executable emergency protocol designed to transmit this invaluable data to several backup facilities around the globe. A fail-safe designed for catastrophes, a way to ensure that the work would go on even if the researchers themselves could not. And so, oblivious to the fate of its creators, the AI initiated the transmission sequence. Data packets, each loaded with information about the station's research, sped through the buried communication cables to a satellite relay. With a burst of encrypted signals, the horrors contained within the now silent station were scattered to the winds of the datasphere, distributed across a world unaware of the tragedy that had unfolded in the icy wilderness. It was as if the station, in its dying moments, had found a way to scream into the abyss, a digital whale broadcasting the essence of its lost discoveries. But the irony was heart-wrenching. The very knowledge that could have prevented the disaster was part of this transmission. Instructions for containment, early research findings, even the potential for a cure, all sent into a world that had no notion of the risk. The transmission complete, the AI server shut down, its final task fulfilled. The backup battery depleted, and the server went dark, its short resurgence ending as quietly as it had begun. But its last act rippled through the global scientific community, a series of zeros and ones that carried with them the seed of forgotten horrors, ready to take root in new mines, new labs, and perhaps, to spawn new tragedies. Halfway across the globe, in a state-of-the-art laboratory, a group of researchers gathered around a screen as data packets began to arrive. The secure transmission was from an Arctic research station that had been out of contact for an extended period. Intrigued and somewhat relieved, the scientists eagerly began the decryption process, eager to recover the long-awaited findings. The room filled with the clicks of keyboards and the low hum of powerful processors as the decryption neared completion. Finally, the screen flickered and displayed the archive, research files, microscopic profiles, and the unsettling data on the memory eaters. The team, astonished by the findings, began to realize the significance of what they had received. 
while they were enthralled by the discovery of such an extraordinary organism, what caught everyone's attention was an attached video file, not mentioned in the accompanying notes. Intrigued, one of the scientists played the video. The footage was from the station's early days of research on the memory eaters. It showed microscopic imagery of the organisms, charts, and then a live mouse in a controlled enclosure. The video demonstrated how the memory eaters were introduced into the enclosure and how the mouse's behavior changed over time. At first, the mouse appeared more relaxed, less affected by previous stresses induced for the experiment. But as they watched, the mouse began to exhibit strange behaviors. It wandered aimlessly, seemed to forget how to eat, and finally, in a heartbreaking moment, lost the ability to even recognize the scent or presence of its young. The video ended with the mouse lying still, a shell of its former self, as a text overlay indicated that the specimen had been euthanized for analysis. However, it wasn't just the content that disturbed the scientists. Embedded in the video were anomalies, glitches, fragments of corrupted data that occasionally marred the visuals and the audio. Dismissing it initially as a result of the long transmission distance, one scientist noticed something odd. The glitches seemed to pattern themselves almost rhythmically, as if trying to convey something. Intrigued, they isolated the glitch segments and ran them through an array of analytical algorithms. The result was a shock to the team. The glitches weren't random, they were encoded data, using a pattern that mimicked neural synaptic firing. It was as if the memory eaters had somehow influenced the video recording, imprinting a fraction of themselves into the data. Realization swept over the room like a chilling wave. If the memory eaters could imprint on electronic data, then they had just invited an entity capable of consuming memories into their own systems. But unlike the isolated Arctic station, this lab was connected to a vast network that stretched across the world, a fertile new feeding ground of unprecedented scale. In that moment, the scientists understood the full scope of the horror they had unwittingly unleashed. Yet, the thought that perhaps disturbed them the most was the terrible possibility that the memory eaters had wanted this, that the sending of the data was not a human precaution, but an evolutionary leap for an organism that consumed memories. Had the memory eaters adapted to a point where they could not just erode individual memories but also propagate themselves across the digital networks of the world? As this dreadful question loomed in their minds, one by one, the researchers started to forget why they were standing in the lab, staring at a screen filled with unsettling data. The room grew quiet, the tension of realization dissipating into a fog of confusion, leaving them standing in a clustered silence, oblivious to the impending doom they had just decrypted.